Um, but we are underway, and I do mean Oscar way. Um, We're getting trains on the board. We're down 50, but uh, we should emphasize to everyone, it takes on a normal day quite a while to get an open. We didn't have the futures trading Boy. this morning. I wonder so why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500. Because they're sheep. And sheep get slaughtered. Ladies and gentlemen, the orange crop estimates for the next year. Show me the money. After calculating the estimates from the various orange-producing states, we have concluded the following. Show me the money! Cold winter has apparently not affected the orange harvest. and welcome to episode eight of pounding the table had yet another wedding this weekend my fiance's brother got married so shout out to mr and mrs carp and tony was pounding the hammer this week <laughs> literally this time due to a hurricane prepping for the storm oh yeah avi this episode we're going to make it rain like those hurricanes laura and marco did and uh for those of you who were new pounding the table is a podcast by yours truly and avi mash talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. Each week, we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted based off of it. little boring disclaimer here. We just got to say this every time. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investment choices. Everything said on this podcast, every episode of it, as well as our Twitter account, uh, are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitation. If you like our show, please hit the support button on Anchor. Your donations are going to help support the show. Every month, we're going to be donating 100% of these proceeds to support a nonprofit organization. This month, we're donating to an animal charity in Nigeria. So appreciate any donations as well as some ideas for next month's organization to donate to. Also, we are now officially launching a logo contest. So the people have spoken. They want merch. We've had a few people already <laughs> reaching out asking if they can create our logo. So if you or any friends make logos, have the graphic design, PhD, Send us your pounding the table <laughs> logo and you may get selected to ingrain yourself in the fucking history books. So without further ado, let's get this party started. We have a great show and I'm glad we waited till tonight because we have a lot more stuff to discuss. Tesla, holy moly, we got to talk about Elon moonwalking on all of those shorts. Uh, we'll be talking about our picks, how they did last episode, TikTok and China. We got, of course, some thesis picks coming up, some upcoming IPOs and some interesting earnings this week. So let's get after it, Tony. As we discussed, helping your parents board up their house during the hurricanes in Florida. Such a family, man, Tony. The rain was coming down. Hurricanes, honestly, may be the only thing ripping faster than Tesla. Badoom ching. <laughs> Badoom ching. Nice zinger there, Avi. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like those hurricanes did cause some like damage to my car, which is pretty sad. And like my Tesla got all dinged up and scratched up. So that $500 insurance deductible is going to have to get paid. But, you know, more sad than that itself is how hard Tesla has been ripping since we've been talking about it. And since I first called this stock at like 80 pre-split, so this was like 2,500 points ago. By the time I bought my car, right? So was, my car was like about, you know, 60,000 or so. Had I used the proceeds, what I put into the car to just continue to hold more of the stock, 
Like that's a $600,000 loss of opportunity cost of gain there just because I thought it was a good idea to like buy the car and be like, yeah, I already made money with Tesla, should be happy and buy myself a car. That was the biggest damn mistake I've ever made. And I will never, ever forget that. So lesson learned here, lease stuff, rent stuff. Don't buy stuff unless you like really don't need the money or don't care if the stock goes a hundred times what your money is. So yeah, I mean, that split made this stock go insane. I mean, what a huge move, about a thousand points since we first were talking about this because of the split. It closed at 1374 the day it got announced for the split. And then it went all the way to almost 2600 pre-split like after hours today. So crazy move. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why this is happening and how it's continuing to run a little bit later in the podcast. Another one we have to mention here is Apple uh, also ran huge since the split. You know, we talk about how bullish a split is. And I know people like to think, well, this isn't really a big difference for the company. But you know, even though we have fractional shares now on a lot of brokerages, it's a huge deal. Like psychologically, you don't want to own 0.1 shares of Tesla. You don't want to own 0.5 shares of Apple. You'd be much happier owning one, five, 10 shares of them, you know, for the same amount of money. And a lot of the people, they don't even realize what a split is. So they think they're getting a huge discount amount of shares and they're really not. So this is what we're going to talk about later, a little bit about the Robin Hood versus uh, institutional kind of logic of the markets here. So besides those two beasts, how do we do over the last two weeks? Big C, we was a big one we discussed, 74% since the previous episode up. Shit the bet a little bit today. Morgan Stanley had an analyst, Stan Zlotsky, initiated coverage of big commerce at an underweight performing. So gave it a price target about 52. I think someone even gave it like a $4 target, which is insane. <laughs> Uh, but across the board, a lot of these others kind of kept it the same in the 130 range, more or less. Big C, we still holding that one. How, how do you think what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, we still crushed this from the first time we talked about it in uh, pounding the table. I mean, we were saying that this IPO would be a big one. And we didn't think that even though the multiple is pretty high in comparison to Shop and Mealy and other names that we like to talk about here, this Facebook news with it is huge. You saw what happened to Shop when they had the same news. It went from 700 to 1100 almost in like a couple of weeks just because they said, okay, well, now we're going to be expanding and working with them on Instagram. So now Facebook did the same thing with big commerce. So Facebook's expanding checkout on Instagram to all US businesses and creators. It says, allowing users to complete a purchase in the app with just a few taps. So they're partnering again with big commerce and still, they still have a partnership with Shopify to enable the checkout and uh, businesses can also use Facebook commerce manager along with the shops feature. So that's really, really bullish in the name. Just the fact that they have such a beast like Facebook working with them, the multiple doesn't really matter anymore. I mean, we can see that with a lot of other stocks, there's not a huge difference in the multiple. It doesn't really matter. This is not a market where you're like, oh, PE is X and X. It, it just doesn't matter as much as it once did. And we're going to talk about that too and why the case of why that's the case right now. Rocket Mortgage is another one that was actually obvious pounding the table thesis from a few episodes back. But you still loving this one? That went up 49%, uh, another <laughs> since we last spoke about it. Yeah, Avi, that was a great pick, honestly. And uh, I mean, I definitely hit this one a little later. I was wanting to buy it around 1819 and I used all my cash to buy Nanox, which we'll talk about in a second. And that one did really well too. But I mean, RKT is a beast and you see the amount of home buying that's going on in this country right now, residential areas, it's just skyrocketing. I mean, like I have a bunch of properties that I like look at and, you know, dream about, want to buy this and that, that I'm just like looking on my Zillow or my Redfin and I have them saved in the like button. And then I've noticed like every week or two, half of them are bought. And then the next week, the rest of them are bought. And then I add more and then those get bought. So I've never seen a real estate market like this ever. And it's really just nuts. Like you think that 
the money in real estate would just die completely because of COVID. But in fact, I think it's really just moving more and more so out of these commercial areas that we've been talking about since the first episode into these residential areas. So I think we'll continue to see that. And Rocket's going to be, you know, a huge benefit benefactor of that, um, along with Redfin. Those are two of my favorite, Tony. One of your favorites, OTRK, up 39%. You had some massive news today going to the NASDAQ. Yeah, that's really huge. I mean, anytime a stock that everyone thinks is a fraud and a scam and this and that, like you have to do your own research. I think a lot of people just kind of piggyback off of other people's opinions of stuff. And I mean, I dove really deep into the company. Sure, I don't love the management team, but are they doing 124% revenue growth? Yeah. Are their margins lower than Livongo's? Sure. But like 30 something percent margins is still pretty amazing for this company, especially at the size it's, it is doing what it's doing. They got added to the NASDAQ. I mean, there's not much more to say. And you've got even people like the Motley Fool, who I think apparently loves our podcast because they keep mentioning <laughs> things that we talk about here. So they said, uh, you know, forget Livongo. This might be a stronger telehealth stock. And like we were saying last time is, well, Livongo is merging with Teladoc. So there's not really a play that you can specifically just buy for health monitoring services. Like there's a couple other names out there, sure, but when something gets a lot of hype and traction to it between these institutions like Motley Fool and all the other investors on Twitter and on StockTwits and you know what have you, that's really when those stocks move. You need the supply and demand, and the demand for this one's starting to skyrocket. Not to mention they have a huge amount of shorts. But when I first started talking about this stock, it was like under 50, right? And it's, it's over 74 today now. And um, they had 61% short float at the time, and now they still have 34%. So whatever it's ran already, it's got at least as much to run again, especially on this news. Another one of your favorites, C Limited, up over 20%. Great earnings report. I also got to give a quick shout out to your boy who sends those hilarious <laughs> memes on SC Limited. Yeah, he kills it. Yeah, I love those memes. They're, they're, they're hilarious. And, you know, adding a little fun to trading is not just making more money. It's, you know, having some good laughs. But you know, their actual revenue here for SE was $1.29 billion. So they were expecting just about a billion, and they beat that by $230 million. So that's huge. And that grew uh, 93% year-over-year for the quarter. 61% year-over-year quarterly active user growth, 91% quarterly year-over-year paying user growth, gross orders. So this is like why we were not bullish on Jumia anymore. Their gross market value of their orders for Jumia was down. But SEs had 150% year-over-year growth. That's insane. Like that's for a company that's already doing six, like it's already $60 billion valuation or so and doing this amount of revenue per quarter. So they're doing like 1.3 billion. They do like six billion a quarter a year now. For them to grow 150% year over year, I mean, that's insane growth for the size that it is. You gotta just think like, where is this thing going? This thing's got its hand in a lot of different buckets. Like their digital wallet called Shop E, two E's, kind of cool is exploding insanely also. Payment volume increased 60% on that. 45% of gross orders were paid using their wallet, C-Money, which is also huge. So this thing kind of reminds me a lot of Tencent. And speaking of Tencent, they own like 25% of SC. So you know when a big beast like Tencent gets into a company that's about to be a Tencent, that it's just, it's going to be a Tencent, in my opinion. And it's like one of my longest longs, and that's not changing. Nano X Imaging, up 19%. Absolutely flew, came back to earth a little bit. Motley Fool called Nanox the next Tesla of medical <laughs> imaging, right? So you still pounding the table on this one? I, I, I kind of love the fact that the Motley Fool is just like calling out all these picks that we're talking I about. I'm like, Yeah, I mean, if anyone's on the Motley Fool and listens to our podcast, talk to me or Avi and we'll bring you on. It'll be awesome. But uh, in terms of Nanox, like I am still extremely bullish. You know, nothing has happened yet, right? So people are like, oh, this is a pre-revenue company. We were talking about this last time. Like, so what? You know, how many companies like Zoom is worth like 100 billion after this earnings report today? 
and they're not even doing like a billion a year revenue. So does it matter at all what the valuation is? No, not in this interest rate free market. And if it ends up getting that FDA approval, it's instantly going to book like almost a billion dollars in orders with a perpetual $250 million a year revenue for their cloud part of their business. We call that at the IPO at 20, it went all the way to 30 plus. And you know, it can keep grinding up higher, especially if people anticipate that the FDA is going to go well for them. And I think it will because they don't need clinical trials. They just need to say, wow, this machine works. It's good. We'll give you the approval. And then the next day, in my opinion, Nanox could double. Yeah, that one's massive. They do have 27 employees, which is was kind of a, a high alert. And then I remembered that uh, Instagram, I think, had like 12 employees when they sold to Facebook. Livongo Health slash Cheetox. So Livongo's up 12% since we last pounded the table. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it looks like a lot of the funds who were selling this because they had double exposure, like we were talking about, because a lot of people own both Livongo and Tdoc once they merge. They're, they don't want to be in the same stock, right? Like you have 5% of Tdoc, 5% in LVGO. You now have 10% in the merger. So you want to sell 5% of one or the other. So that's why people were selling both, but they started to you know, buy it back and, and stop selling. In fact, is I think that a lot of the people who wanted to get out or had to get out according to their fund or their institution's bylaws of how much risk they can have in a certain asset are kind of done doing that. So I think it's going to go back to proper value, in my opinion. Livongo was 167 pre-market before they announced the merger. And then you know it, it obviously dove down significantly, but I think it could probably go back to 167 in the short term. Another one of my favorites, Redfin, up 11% since we last discussed. We, we also talked about Rocket. I don't know if you'd consider this one a spade as a spade, but thoughts on Redfin moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's close enough to a spade is a spade to be one. I mean, you know, it's all just about the same industry, right? This like residential home buying is flying. And the more and more that I like, I use Redfin personally is like where I look at all my real estate on. Thing is definitely a beast. You know, it's 1% to buy and sell something on there versus like whatever you're going to get at another broker, specifically Zillow. This is, this for me is like not really a comparison to Zillow. I think if you can beat the big industry leader on all its metrics, right? Like this is like Tesla five years ago. They had like better car performance, more user satisfaction, and like five other things. Obviously, this is why this they went to where they are now. Redfin's doing the same thing with Zillow, right? Zillow has a $15 billion market cap. I would not be surprised for Redfin to get the same market cap as Zillow without even having to capture more than like a quarter of the market. You know, they don't even have 1% of the market now and look what they're doing and growing. So my opinion, I'm not going to ever really probably sell this until it materializes to where I think it's going to go. Yeah, the New York Times has had an article about New Yorkers fleeing the city. Of course, pounding the tables weeks ahead of this, of course. <laughs> but uh, they're just talking about Redfin. Um, so those were a lot of the winners, right? Of course, we had some average. Stone went up 8%. SPG up 2%. Square 8%. Fiverr 6%. Mercado Libre up 2%. And Booking up 9%. So we always talk about... Of course, our winners, but something that my fiance always calls me is a, a huge loser, right? And so we did have two losers. Apps uh, went down 4%. Futu went down 4%. I know you say you're never scared, but uh, <laughs> I guess, are you are you shorting your positions on those? No, I actually added to both. I mean, so the thing that we were talking about, as much as these companies are great investments, you want to find a right entry point, right? So I started adding apps around 24. It went to 28. Obviously, I didn't sell any. And like similar to Food 2, I started buying into 29s and it went over 40 and I still didn't sell any. Um, but on the way down, I did hedge with some puts and I was like protecting my position. When I saw that it was reversing, I decided to get back into them more. So I've doubled up my position on Food 2 and I've even added a little bit to apps. I mean, you know, apps had a huge run. APPS is the ticker symbol. And it did have a nice reversal move upwards on last Friday over the 20-day uh, simple moving average with volume. So that kind of looks good moving forward. 
Futu, obviously, they had amazing earnings last time we talked about this on the pod. So it's definitely a longer term outlook one for me. Not everything's going to rip 50% like the other things every week, you know? Well, the people want winners, Tony, okay? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing. The, the feedback, you, you get people 50%, it goes down 1%, and then you hear the haters coming. Come at us, baby. We love it. Uh, TikTok, we promised the people we'd talk about it. Besides just your incredible rap videos that I saw on TikTok, I saw something with China. Break it down in a much more intelligent manner for us, please. That's what I'm here for, Avi. In terms of TikTok, everyone kind of really wants a piece of TikTok right now. And more specifically, it's like these platforms that want to use social media to make e-commerce interactive for their customers. So I thought it was pretty nuts. I've never really seen something like Walmart and Microsoft partnering together for a bid on a company. So it was what they did this last week. And knowing Microsoft, they're going to use that for the social media presence, right? Like Microsoft bought Skype, which they completely diddled. Zoom exploded and Skype is worth crap. And they had like a, a 10 year lead. Walmart's going to probably use it to push their e-commerce products. So it's a win-win for both of them. They're going to use it for different metrics. I'm sure Microsoft's going to get it for advertising and Walmart's going to use it for you know selling their products on it. You also have Oracle and Twitter interested. But to me, it seems impossible that you can beat out Microsoft and Walmart when they're working together. That's $3 trillion of craziness. How are you going to beat that? They don't have much time left. I think Trump set a deadline of September 15th. So obviously a political move, in my opinion, because the debates are the following week and the election's only a month or so after that. So we should see some resolution in the next two weeks for sure, whether it's going to happen or not. But we also found out today they might have a deal done as early as tomorrow. But with that being said, China also came out and said they need to approve the deal before it gets done, right? So why would China like approve the deal? I don't really think that they want to, obviously, because then they're just selling their big, crazy growth. It's like the US getting forced to sell Facebook parts. They're not going to want to do that. So I don't know what's going to end up happening here. Obviously, the biggest benefactor would be Fastly. And if the deal goes through, since Microsoft is a customer of Fastly, I'm pretty sure Fastly the next day will be up 10 to 20. People are saying like, oh, TikTok is 12% of their revenue. But if you consider how much TikTok is actually in the US and Australia and New Zealand, which is like the amount, which is what they're trying to sell off. I don't think it's actually 12% total. I think it's far, far less. So I think Fastly is actually- I saw. Yeah, something like that. So Fast has had a severe way overreaction, in my opinion, to this. But it could be possible that they're factoring in like all the future earnings that TikTok would have been for them, which makes sense, right? Because the market's forward looking and tries to price in everything as is. So, you know, I, I think that I think it will go through. I just don't know if TikTok is going to get screwed with the price that they're going to have to sell themselves for those parts. But speaking of social media platforms to use for e-commerce purposes, it's time for take it away, Avi. I was going to say, if you're, if you're going to try to attempt my radio voice, you're in trouble because that is <laughs> my one role here on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Pounders Thesis Pick. That's right, folks. We're back. We got one from yours truly, so I like to jump in here too. And then one from my double OG dog, Tony. Let's start <laughs> with this pick as it goes right with what we're talking about. Uh, this week's Pounders Thesis pick comes in from Ace on Twitter. He had selected, drum roll please, Pinterest, which is a company you wanted to talk about anyways. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about Pinterest specifically in relation to the hype that you see. For instance, like everyone's fighting over this TikTok. Everyone's going to be fighting over these social media platforms that allow for e-commerce to grow. Because right, that's that, I think in the next five to 10 years, Amazon's already proven this. 
but specifically like retail stores that go online as e-commerce, not just like sourcing and stuff like Amazon does, that's going to be the big industry for the next five to 10 years. I just don't see that changing. And, you know, it, COVID it made this grow. We were saying like 10 years and three months. So it's not going to stop in my opinion. And even if it does trail off once everything opens back up, we've said this again and again, like the exponential base is still going to be way higher than it would have been. So Pinterest is only a $21 billion company. They had a huge earnings run, about 37% run. It's interesting that Ace mentions that small businesses will use Pinterest as a platform uh, to showcase their products, almost like social media, like Etsy. And speaking of Etsy, Pinterest accounts for 40% of social media traffic to Etsy, right? So it's like the, the floodgates open up to get onto Etsy, to get onto whatever else other platform wants to use Pinterest to source buyers from. So my question is, why wouldn't someone just buy out Pinterest next? It seems so likely. You know, I hope no one buys them out because I'd love to ride Pinterest to you know being a hundred billion dollar company. But hey, like if they want to buy it out at a hundred, hundred fifty percent premium, I'll be happy with that overnight. You know, so Avi, the truth is though, I want to know what your thesis pick is. I first want to know how this guy got the name Ace, but I just <laughs> dug in here. It's at Spain USA underscore for those of you interested. So got to give a shout out to the people that picked the Pounder's thesis. So yes. You want to hear, the world wants to hear, what is Ozzy's thesis, <laughs> right? So mine is Spotify. So for a few reasons, right? This week, Joe Rogan debuted uh, today, actually. Um, he's going to be exclusively on Spotify shortly. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are about to do one. We got Michelle Obama's podcast, uh, Kim Kardashian, the DC Comics universe. So they're blowing up, esports, audio content everywhere, right? Then I noticed the other day I was on listening to a podcast about fantasy football, about to do a few drafts coming up. And then I saw a video going on. I was like, holy shit, there's video here as well. So they just recently launched this video content that is going to be playing in the background. God knows what they could do with the advertising for that. So that's awesome. RBC also gave it an upgrade to 330. Right now they got 130 million premium subscribers. So their total MAU, which is monthly active users, which includes some of the free ad-supported services, reached almost 300 million uh, at the end of June. So that's crazy. None of these, yes, it, it, it's incredible. Obviously, there's going to be more people listening. People are getting sucked in. Couple that now with uh, Spotify streaming ad insertion. So they call it SAI. It's going to be bringing tons of dynamic targeted advertising for these podcasts. It's a huge place where they're obviously going to. You're listening to a podcast right now. People love them. Another thing, you keep laughing, man. I'm a fucking comic. Uh, so since 2011, they've always stayed at $9.99 a month for Spotify Premium. So let's just say they even raise it a dollar. That's going to be an extra $130 million, which is, you know, a little bit. But they can continue to raise prices there. Another big thing I'm excited about is this two-sided marketplace initiative, essentially allowing music labels and artists to promote their music on their platform in different ways. Uh, the last thing I'll also say is uh, their CEO had just mentioned that they're going to have some software type margins with this integration with some of these music industry folks. So Universal Music Group, one of the largest labels, just has a huge collaboration with the two-sided marketplace they're releasing. Number of artists and teams are using Spotify for the artists as tools. That grew 68% year over year, almost 700,000 of those. So big things to come from Spotify. I know it's been growing quite a bit, but this is a pound from Avo. Yeah, Avi, I'm going to agree with this one for sure. I mean, if you see like the way that these other companies that have any type of like subscription-based modeling going on, you know, you see Netflix exploding, you see Zoom going nuts, and most of their crap is free. 
and Zoom's making me sick right now. Zoom's like the only stock that I shorted this year, and I shorted it from 221 to 190, right? So I, I made money on it, but I should have flipped long. And I, I had like 500 shares, like personally at like 68, and I just can't believe I didn't hold it. But, you know, I don't want to miss Spotify here. So I think Spotify might actually end up being like a way bigger company than people assume. They're getting into stuff that's kind of like YouTube and YouTube's already valued crazy, right? If YouTube spun off today, it would be worth over a hundred billion. So I would agree with the pound. I'll double pound it with you. We love the double pound. So besides these like great companies that we already know are on the market and you know we love and we want to pound the table on, we're looking at some IPOs that are coming up. So September is supposed to be a really, really big month for a bunch of IPOs. Recently, we had Big C, Nanox, RKT, a bunch of others, and those all went insane. So, you know, I think that these IPOs are all just going to do really similar movements. People just want to buy yield as fast as possible. So Avi, what else do you have popping up in the future that's going to be popping up even more? What else do we have popping, Tony? We have Palantir. Palantir is an incredible company. They've been around since 2003. I used to work with a few folks. Some of the smartest folks I worked with had gone over there. They're doing great on revenue. So in 2019, they had about 743 million, which is a year-on-year growth of 25%. Gross margins about 67%. They have software that helps defense, uh, intelligent analysts sort through the massive amounts of information to catch terrorists, number of other things. They've since branched out to offer big data analysis to commercial and non-defense customers as well. So really starting to pivot beyond just the government. Their co-founder and CEO, Alex Karps, an absolute wild man. Definitely Google him. Looks like a cool fucking dude. I definitely would hang out, have a few beers with him. He was taking some (laughs) shots at the Silicon Valley folks. They're moving their headquarters to Denver. His biggest thing with uh, Silicon Valley is he was talking about how they're just making money off the ads. And so he was talking, quote unquote, said, we seem to share fewer and fewer of the technology sector's values and commitments. And that company is going to be going public shortly. We will notify you guys via Twitter as soon as we find out. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of these tech companies that are IPOing now are just getting bought right at the open. And it's crazy. You see like the amount of people subscribe to the IPO is like five to 10 times. I think it was like Nanox was like 13 times oversubscribed and like they haven't even made a dollar yet. So we're talking about Snowflake here. John Trade Stock at Twitter asked, uh, thoughts on the upcoming Snow IPO? Well, this is going to be one that I'm definitely going to be buying. Hopefully, you know, the only thing I have the reservations for IPOs are how crazy the premium is in the first tick. So you saw Big C, right? It was priced at 24, like we talked about, and it ended up going to like 68 at the open, right? So that's like three, almost three times more than what it was priced at. The only reason I actually did buy Nanox was because it was priced at 18 and only opened at 20. So that was okay for me. Like I was happy to buy it a couple dollars over the premium. But Snowflake, you know, we'll see what happens there. If it opens like 300% over premium, I'm definitely going to wait to see some correction. But if it doesn't and opens up close, which I actually think it's probably unlikely, I will be loading it right at the opening tick. So it was founded in 2012 by former Oracle developers. Snowflake supplies a cloud-based data warehousing service that helps companies analyze data. So, you know, any data is like the future of all these tech companies are going to be like, everyone's looking into how do I get more data? How do I analyze more data? So anyone who's that person who's telling you what the data means is obviously a key role in all of what's going on in tech. Uh, They're led by Sequoia Capital. Uh, He also described how Capital One, which now accounts for 11% of Snowflake's revenue, hopefully not a a fastly TikTok situation here, uh, but Snowflake is benefiting from an accelerating corporate shift from on-premise computing to the cloud, uh, which is being accelerated by the rise in working from home that we've been talking about more and more, obviously from the pandemic. 
its net revenue retention rate was 169% last year. That's nuts. I mean, like there's obviously a ton of other metrics that are great for it, but that's enough for me to say, I want to get in this thing if I don't have to pay 300% over the IPO pricing price. Yeah. The net revenue retention is always interesting. That means that they literally do not need to bring on another client and they'll still growing faster than they are churning clients. So that, that's awesome. <laughs> 169%. Uh, wow. Another one we want to talk about here is Asana. They were founded in 2008. For those of you who watched The Social Network, it was Dustin Moskowitz. Uh, Asana is a subscription-based software. It helps workers communicate, coordinate projects, avoiding long email chains. It sounds a lot like Slack and Microsoft Teams, et cetera. It's not, though. I know this company, it's, it's definitely not like a, a Slack or an AIM type, more kind of in that workplace management field. But a lot of what you'll read online is saying that it is in a similar space. I don't think so. Uh, but the pros of this company, the company's already has 1.2 million paid users. Another one, net ARR of 120%. Breaking news, Tony. Let's take a live look in Miami where Mr. Mahi Mahi himself, Leon Lotto, has finally ripped his shirt off with Roku. He has been pounding the table on this forever. I know you guys got in battles back and forth. Finally broke through. Why did it break? And, and is this something that's going to rip through the clouds now? <laughs> I like I like that rip through the clouds, the software company. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, here, here's here's the thing. Like, we, we always harp on this a lot, you know, the opportunity cost of capital. Like, I never said Roku was a bad company. I said it trades like a shit stock. And it did for a long time. It didn't break over its all-time highs for over a year. When you see every other company in a similar industry, just exploding, right? Like you saw Zoom go from like 60, to now 400. Mealy, 500 to 1200. Shop, 300 to 1100. But Roku didn't do crap. So why would I put my money in Roku and park it there and let it sit there for months and months and months when it's not moving? You know what I did instead? I had a notification set to when it broke 161 that I would just pop up on my screen so I could just buy it, which is what I did. So in my opinion, you know, like, when I saw it run up over 10% on the day that the Fed decided to do it's like interest rate, crazy madness of five years, no, no interest rates, that just says buy growth and buy any growth. So I guess that is the push that Roku needed. Obviously, there's also like news coming out about Roku. I think it's in like 40% of households um, have a Roku device, ad tech revenue growth for it year over year was 42% on Roku, while TTD was down which also we love TTD, but it was down 12.9% and Twitter's was down 18.8%. So during the time when like ads got crushed, Roku's ads didn't get crushed. So it's very resilient to like their biggest part of growth and like in terms of how they make their money. So in my opinion, I don't think Roku's going to go down. I think this is actually the bump it needed to finally start moving. And the thing is, once something bases for years, I mean, like this thing has based for such a long time, it, it could easily run to 300. Like it could do that in a month or two. Tony, 2020 has been quite the whirlwind to say the least. As Americans, we live in this little bubble. We focus on the USA. We don't see really anything outside the US, but we've started tiptoeing along, right? We, we talk about Mercado Libre, which of course is a South American company. You recently had a discussion with me where you were mentioning some of the other emerging countries that we're looking over the next five, 10 years. What countries should we be keeping an eye out for? And, and how more so, you know, how do we play that from an investor standpoint? Yeah, I mean, so I've been really looking at a bunch of these other countries who, you know, you see how Chinese stocks have just gone insane, right? You've got things that are in Southeast Asia, like SE Limited, and you've got things like PDD in China, Alibaba in China, and those have just grown crazy, right? So 
in so in 2030, China is supposed to be the number one GDP producer, right, 64 trillion. You would think that the U.S., which is now second, would also continue to be second, but it's not going to be second by 2030, according to these predictions, obviously, which can be wrong, but most likely are not going to be based on trends. So India went from having $10 trillion in GDP, and it's projected to have $46.3 trillion in GDP. So it's like almost five times their gross domestic product in just like 10 more years. So I really am looking into Indian companies. The problem is that because obviously India is a very, very early developing country, you know, even though they have over a billion people, right? Like it's not easy to find stocks on the U.S. stock market that are Indian based companies. So the only thing I really could find right now is the Indian MSCI. So it's called INDA. And that hasn't been really blowing up. But I think obviously in the next 10 years, like you'll see that explode with this GDP. And the only way that the GDP for a country can grow is if the companies within the, the country also explode in their growth and their earnings and their profits. So I'm really going to keep looking at India. If there's any IPOs or any companies that you guys know about, please like, you know, post to us. Like I'll, I'll look into them because I'm very, very eager to find them. I think I've only found like 14 Indian-based ETFs or companies specifically that are listed on the stock market in the U.S. So if you guys know of any other ways to play India, I would love to know. One thing I was really interested in, so a lot of the top 10, you know, shifted one or two positions, but Egypt came out of nowhere, uh, number 21 with 1.2 trillion back in 2017, expected to be at 8.2 trillion. So moving up to seventh within the top 10. Just saw a ticker symbol on that as well. Something to kind of keep an eye at. Similar with India, if you guys have any stocks within Egypt, this ticker symbol is EGPT. Something to keep an eye on here <laughs> over the next next couple of years here. Uh, Tony, let's talk a little bit more back to tech. You know, I find it so funny. Everyone's talking about this rotation out of tech. That lasted a day, maybe a day and a half. So what's going on with this cloud blowout? We see CRM, Microsoft, Adobe. I've never seen a market cap like Salesforce jump 25% on earnings. Zoom, I'm laughing about, they ripped almost 20% out in their earnings after hours here. So let's talk a little bit about maybe this spade is a spade before we get into Salesforce. My year, May year, whatever you look call them, Mr. Blue Eyes, beautiful soul and person, brought up DocuSign. So do you see DocuSign being a spade as a spade here? Yeah, I, mean, I absolutely do. Right. So like anything in this industry right now, and like people are like talking about DocuSign saying, okay, well, it's got a really, really big market cap. It's like 50 billion or so. But, I mean, does it matter? Like you just saw Zoom go from 60 to 100 billion, basically. Like that's, that's crazy. Like in, in it actually doubled in the last like 10 days or so. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see DocuSign rip to 300 on their earnings, right? It's like 220s now. It, it would not blow my mind in the slightest. So yeah, anything in this industry, that people thought would die off once COVID got a little better, but it's not dying off and actually just accelerating continuously is going to be heavily bought. And this is just goes more and more into people want to be buying growth. Like all these stocks that are growth oriented, tech oriented, because the Fed says no interest rate hikes for five years, you have to buy growth. They basically told you like, stop buying stupid crap. Like don't even buy our treasuries, just buy growth stocks. So they're literally just giving you every reason to buy and pump these growth tech stocks. And I don't think that's going to stop, right? So, I mean, we'll talk about Salesforce here a little bit. They reported an incredible quarter, you know, second quarter revenue of 5.15 billion, up 29% year over year, like on top of like the fact that they already do a huge amount of revenue. It raises their next year guidance to 20.7 billion, up uh, 21 to 22% year over year. So they're, they're over here slaying the game right now. They've been slaying the game. 
And they're like, yeah, we're going to kill it a little bit harder next year. And people are like, well, why, why is that happening? Right? Like, wouldn't this only happen because of COVID? Well, obviously not. Right? Like we talked about this expanding base and now people are listening because these companies that are already huge just got so many more customers and those customers are sticky and they're going to be staying here. So I think the reason why that like rotation happens so quickly, you know, usually it lasts like two, three, maybe four days. It happened like in a day because the Fed just came out and said, look, growth is growth is in even value can rip, but growth is really, really in, you know, and this is what gave life back to the cloud SAS sector was like this Salesforce report, you know, both the 1.0 versions, right? Like that's like the, the Salesforce is like the 1.0 and like the 2.0, you could call that like Datadog or something like that. So it's just like the evolution of cloud, right? Like I, I would almost call Fastly like a cloud 3.0 because edge cloud is not even really a thing yet. Most people thought these valuations were insane. And, you know, while some are high, they can really, really keep going. And I would be really surprised to not see all these growth tech companies not rip another 20 to 50%. There's a lot of money still sitting on the sidelines. And I don't think that they're going to be buying the cruise lines over something like CRM. In terms of all these other companies, there's stuff that haven't really exploded as crazy now. And there's a company that I really love, ServiceNow. I think it's one of the best companies out there and it doesn't move as it should. Um, in my opinion, it's a $500 billion company in a few years. So all I really got to say is long live SAAS. Yeah, CRM, I am pounding my face in on this one. I had it at 60. I was telling everyone this is going to 100. This is several years ago, of course. But yeah, that, that net retention rate, you cannot just pull out your CRM. So Salesforce is here to stay. You always talk about don't sell good companies. I did, regretting it, but Congrats to anyone that held. That thing is a monster. And now that they've done all these acquisitions, it's just going to keep propelling forward. So we talk about the software clouds just absolutely ripping it. Long live SaaS indeed, Tony. There's been this shift kind of back and forth you always discuss. Besides SaaS, besides these cloud stocks, you've mentioned IWM, you know, some of these beaten down names, booking. We always talk about some other areas. Is it time to get back or is, is cloud here to stay? Is, is money everywhere? Yeah, I mean, so this is the most interesting market I think you could ever be in trading wise. You know, the whole time that the market was bottomed out in March all the way up to now, we've been doing this kind of like teeter-totter kind of thing where You'll buy tech for a few days and then they'll sell out of tech still higher than when it was originally, but then they'll put the money into value and cyclicals and utilities. And then they'll do the same thing back into tech. And so it's like a little seesaw higher on each side. And it, that brings up the indices and the general market. But now, you know, the market's overall time highs, everything except for the rut is. And so you're kind of seeing that these funds, these institutions, these retail investors are just saying, well, screw it. Like, I'm kind of just going to buy anything I want. Obviously, I think that tech and clouds, SAS will continue to rip harder, but I wouldn't not look at things like booking, right? Booking, you went from 1300 to 2000. Like, that's extremely, that's a great move, right? And like, I caught most of that move. You've got IWM, right? It was at 99 and now it's at like 156. So that's like a 55% move from the lows on that index, which is the most beaten down worst name. So I'm still very long. My IWM calls for January, 2022. Um, still long booking, still long SPG and a couple of those other names. So I think that'll continue to happen. I think you just see this like psychology going on in the market right now. Like we were talking about Apple and Tesla where we we weren't sure like, okay, well, once they split, what's going to happen? Well, we figured it was either going to be one of two things. It's either going to be people are going to be selling now that they've split. But I, the most likely case, which we, which we said was going to happen was 
that the Robin Hooders would, you know, beat out all these expectations. Like th th there's a new class of investors, a new breed of investors in this market who are just saying, well, Tesla's five times cheaper, even though it's obviously not, I'm going to buy it. Apple's five times cheaper. I'm going to buy it. So it's kind of like, well, Carnival Cruise Lines is down from 60 to 17 now, 16. Uh, Dave and Buster's went from 50 to 16. Cruises are not even sailing right now. Dave and Buster's isn't really open. So people are buying them just because there's way more investors in the market, right? We talked about this last time, five times the amount of brokerages account were open in the last like four or five months. So that's insane. And that is kind of what we're seeing here. So in my opinion, we're going to keep teeter-tottering upwards with like many four or five hour to one or one and a half day rotations between the sectors. And this is going to keep grinding us higher um, until we do top at some point. So Tony, when people turn on CNN, you see the world absolutely burning. You called the market bottom literally pretty much to the penny, which is insane. Then you started saying 3,400. I know you were kind of cheating on me. You were on some other podcasts where you said 3,550. <laughs> so yeah, we're here at 3,500 right now. Are we going to the moon? Maybe uh, SPX 9,000 next week? <laughs> SPX 9,000 and I wouldn't do a podcast anymore. But yeah, I'm sorry for cheating on you, Avi. I just got to go and uh, hit that Forex Analytics podcast every once in a while because uh, you know Dale, Dale was the first uh, podcast to ever asked me to come on. So always have to go back and uh, shout out to at Dale uh, Pinkert on uh, Twitter. Really cool dude. And I love his podcast. But when I was on there, I think it was last Monday and I, I did post this and retweeted it on my Twitter. Uh, we were about 3,400 Monday morning. And I said, we're pretty much going to go straight up to 3550. And I would call 3520 pretty much there. You know, we didn't have really any dips at all in the whole way there. So as I said, you know, once we get over 3400, it was just air. And I think that a lot of people right now are getting super concerned because if you draw like a trend line over the S&P 500 or over the SPY, which is the ETF for the S&P 500, you kind of see that 3550-ish is like the top of a megaphone pattern. So it's like a sinusoidal up, down, up, down. It's like bigger each time. And basically 3550 would be the place where if I think if the market's going to stop, in my opinion, it would be 3550 or a little overshoot over it. And I know people are really recently talking a lot about what's going on with the VIX, right? Like the fair value of the VIX right now should be significantly lower than what it is. And I think even the VIX was up today and up yesterday and the day before. But I do want to call out one guy, you know, at Yuri Maslow, M-A-S-L-O-W. This guy's a genius, honestly, fantastic follow. Go follow him right now. You learn a lot. Um, but he was showing this chart he was talking about where in 2000, the VIX went from like 25 to 65 when the NASDAQ ran like over 100%. So doesn't necessarily mean that just because the VIX is going up, the market's going to crash. What happens is people are essentially buying more and more protection the higher and higher we go. So people are adding puts. And it doesn't mean that they're buying puts because they think we're going to crash. Obviously, a lot of people are thinking that, right? So a lot of those buys are just outright you know, directional speculative positions. So some people do think we're going to crash. And a lot of people, in my opinion, also think that they want to be hedged in case we do crash. So when people talk about like, oh, I saw a $10 million block of SPX 3,400 puts going off for two weeks out from now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that person thinks we're going to crash super, super hard. That guy could have a $10 billion portfolio and it's like, well, screw it. Let me throw like, you know, 0.1%, 1% in whatever in case we do crash. Because if we don't crash, I'm going to make a boatload of money. If we do crash, I'm going to be protected. So that's what I think is going on there. But I do really want to like reiterate that 
watching this 3550 to 3600 level is it, we've ran so much and I'm not saying at all that we can't keep going right like that fed news was huge so we can keep going and I think longer term we will keep going but in the short term that would be my potential pullback area if it doesn't happen right I'm not going to I'm not going to get out but if we do start pulling back from there I would say feasible targets from there would be about like 6% under the recent high. So about like 32, 30, 3,300. And that would actually be healthy for the markets. So Tony, on the past episodes, you mentioned that you're going to start getting out of options, head more into some stocks, even going a little cash into the election. So a few people had questions coming up to us, wrote MC20, asking about what are your top three trades heading into the election? JMO Money asked, what do you think about the Fed's new strategy? And what do you think it means for the markets? Yeah, so I've probably been asked this question at least 50 times in the last few weeks because like everyone's thinking like, oh, he's getting out, like everything is going to crash this and that. Like not necessarily, right? Like I had a great year one. I made 122% in my first year as a fund manager. I'm already up almost 60% for my second year, which has only been two months. So for me, it's not really about like the market as much as preserving my gains and like maintaining my like my fund's legacy. And I really want to make sure that everyone understands that just because like I'm getting out of something does not mean that you need to get out of something, right? Like everyone needs to make their own trading decisions and their own risks and goals for themselves. So this is me managing my own positions and getting into what I want to be into in terms of like risk and potential downturn, um, just because we've run so much. And like, I'm, I'm super bullish. Like I'm the most bullish person you'll ever meet. But once again, we've gone exponential in the last two or three weeks. And we are getting close to obviously a very volatile time in history, right? Like it's the election year, the election time. We're going to have debates at the end of September after Labor Day weekend. You know, generally September is often a bad month. Um, I know that everything's different, right? Like I've been telling, we've been telling you guys for months that things are different, you know, Fed interest rates, huge stimulus, you know, you see things like zoom up 25% after running 25, 50%. And I'm still quite bullish long-term and my 5,000 price target for 2022 is not changing. But do I think that we could have like a five to 10% correction or just like a quick drops because of election volatility? Absolutely. So for me, you know, I'm not supposed to make 60% in two months. That's just not like a normal market time. And I get that. And I've been riding the wave the whole time. But do I think that it's smarter to get into positions I can easily maneuver out of around this time? Absolutely. Like if the market keeps running, I'm not going to be upset if I have all my favorite growth stocks and like some values and cyclicals also. But if the market crashes, I'm going to be a lot more upset if I have verticals, leaps, spreads, options, this and that, like all over the place. It's so much harder to get out of that when there's no one to catch your bid. And it's so much harder to get out of that with more than one click. So the reason I want to get more and more into stocks is because obviously my own volatility will decrease the more and more stocks versus options and spreads I have. Um, my top three trades going up into the election, like I do think that the VIX is going to explode. And I'm, that doesn't mean I'm bearish at all. I think that it could be a really similar situation to 2000. And the more and more I think about it, I think I'm right. So I am going to start adding like long-term VXX calls in case we do crash. That's going to be the world's best hedge. Um, During March, I was hedging with like SPXL and SQQQ, which did triple, but the UVXY went 1,500% and TVIX went like 3,000% or something. So Obviously, volatility is your friend because as we've seen, the market can grind higher and the VIX can go up. And also the same thing happened in 2000. Um, About the Fed's new strategy, I mean, that is the reason why my target's not changing. First, I had SPX 5000 for 2022 because they said they weren't going to raise rates. 
until 2022. Now they said likely that five years, they're not going to raise rates. I'm going to have to up that target, really. Like that is the most bullish thing you can do for a market. I think that we're going to continue to run over the coming years. And I actually think this is the beginning of a new bull market. As crazy and as you know ridiculous as that sounds to people, considering the fact that we've run so much already, in the long term, I'm still extremely bullish, obviously. In the short term, I'm just trying to preserve my account, manage my own you know, risk, and be prepared because there will be opportunities. You heard it here first, folks. SPX 20,000 by next year. <laughs> That's a complete joke. Please do not go and buy that. <laughs> but you know what? It's not a joke. Tony's rules. So for those of you who are new to Pounding the Table, every week we give one or two of Tony's rules on why Tony is such a god and a legend when it comes to trading. Tony, what do you got for us this week? You're so nice, Avi. Really, really touches my heart here. But, um, you know, as much as I love you, my rule number one is don't fall in love. So if you're Ooh. too, yeah, right. You like that. If you're, you're too, in love with your, now. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're too in love with your trading vehicle or investment, you give way to flawed decision-making and that's just how it is. It's, it's your job to capitalize on inefficiency, making money while everyone else is learning the wrong way and taking advantage of the opportunity cost of capital. I've had this issue happen many, many, many times to myself. And the biggest thing I can say is if you love a company long-term and you really, really, really truly deeply, like you did your research and you believe in it and you think it's going to be a huge game changer, something like Tesla, you just buy the stock, throw it in another account. Don't look at it. Don't do extra crap. If you want to add more money to it, fine. If you really believe in it, but if you fall in love with stuff and you're trading in and out of these stocks, like I made a ton of money on booking. And booking is a stock that I'm in love with just because of the returns I can get on those options. Like sometimes I can get like a five or 10 to a hundred sometimes if it goes insane, which has happened many times this year, both ways up and down. But I've lost a lot of money playing it just because I overplay it because of how much I love it because of the fact that it can make that kind of gains. So my second rule is watch for warnings. Like we were talking about earlier, why I'm getting into cash and hedging and getting prepared is I'm just... I'm watching, right? I'm looking and I'm trying to see what the market's going to do. And I got to say, like, I'm not sure. I'm like, I was sure that we would go to 35, 50, 3,600. We're about there. So whenever you get to your target, that's when you reevaluate and you think, well, I don't know what's happening next. And usually, you know, if you're sure you'll have another target up, up or down, down. But if you don't know, that's when you take, you know, into consideration your own risk and where you want to be managing your account for the coming months, years, you know, whatever. So the rule here is big losses rarely occur uh, without multiple technical warnings or news warnings. You know, traders routinely ignore these signals and they allow hope, right? Like hopium, everyone's just snorting and shooting up this hopium in the market, which is okay because of what the Fed is doing, but it wouldn't be okay otherwise. And that's just replacing like thoughtful discipline. So you set yourself up to get screwed. You're setting yourself up for pain. So in the short term, keep an eye out early for signs that the market conditions could change and then create risks in what you're holding and what you want to be holding or what you're going to be trading. So this really is just rule for what I was just talking about with my own account and why I'm going to be moving into things I can get out of easy and raising cash for these opportunities. I got to give me some of this hopium. <laughs> <It's not laughs> I've never heard that one before. It is time for questions from the audience. So thanks for everyone for sending in your questions. I've got a ton of good ones. Start with a quick one from StockPDX35, simply asking, what brokerages are you guys using? So I'll just quickly jump in. 
I went from Robin Hood. So I got beaten down by Tony telling me to get out ASAP. Finally moved over to TD Ameritrade. I think it's a great platform. I love Thinkorswim. I've noticed things are clearing much faster. I'm not waiting for some of these fills. I just feel like Mark, uh, Robinhood just doesn't do the best job of that. Tony, what are you using? Yeah, so I just want to touch on like TD there, like Thinkorswim, like goes has been going down a lot recently. So you, I mean, I don't know if you've experienced that at all, Avi, but there's a lot of days where like some for some people, if they're trading on certain, I don't know what exactly like the apps that you know. Uh, TD Ameritrade has, but some of them don't like show your quotes or show your options quotes for some time. And this has happened multiple times. And I've heard a lot of people complain about this. Um, so I would say like the best platform is just what like my, what my mentor Sam uses and like a bunch of other people I know, they use Fidelity and Fidelity is really, really great. I've never really heard any problems with Fidelity. There's been a few, obviously, there's just been a ton recently on all, pro, on all uh, brokerages and platforms because of the amount of volume of new traders and new accounts coming in. Um, I use E-Trade. I've always used E-Trade and that's the only reason I use it. I haven't had any issues of it being down in the last six months, really, like maybe one day. But in comparison to the other brokerages, I feel more comfortable on the platform. I use it just because I've been using it since I was like 16. So it's hard for me to move away from it. Probably should and I probably will. But it's just you know a personal thing for me. Uh, but I would recommend using Fidelity. You can actually buy a lot more different stocks and there's a lot of different um, like assets that you can purchase on Fidelity, you can't buy in a lot of other brokers. It really comes down to, you know, personal preference. Uh, we're definitely not getting paid yet, at least from these guys <laughs> to, to tell us what to use. But uh, that's a good question. I think a lot of people are jumping into trading, ask that question. So other questions really around some of these alternative investments. Uh, someone had actually asked about the booming sports card business. So I'm not going to really touch on that. I was totally an avid sports card collector, you know, back in the day. Those are likely in my parents' basement, along with my Beanie Babies that uh, never traded. So not really focused on that. But, you know, we touched on crypto. You had mentioned Link. I just moved about $5,000 over from Bitcoin over to Link. Tell us a little bit more about Link. I followed you blindly. So, you know, I'm hoping you're right here. <laughs> yeah, dude, Avi, do your own research, man. We preach it. You got to live it. But I know that like I was extremely bullish. We've, we've actually talked like back and forth about it. I just think that a lot of people just want to be buying blindly Bitcoin. And it's just in 2017, when all these coins were coming out, this and that, like you had no idea which ones were real. You had no idea like these stocks were these, these ICOs are going up 10, like 10,000%. I'm not misspeaking every couple of days. Like some of them were going from 0.00001 to a dollar, right? So a lot of those went to zero and they were like never even real. But after a few years, right, it's been about three years since the first crazy crypto craze. Um, and so now you can kind of see the ones that are real. And, you know, the brokerages that used to be trading these fake coins, they are a lot of them are shut down. So you can have a lot more faith in the things that you're buying, specifically if you're buying off of Coinbase, right? Like they will only add something on Coinbase if they also believe that it's legit and, you know, it has a reason to be there. So like you can think of Coinbase, like NASDAQ, like it's where if you're buying something on Coinbase, it's definitely a real coin. Obviously, it doesn't mean it's going to go up or down specifically. But if you have like concerns about whether or not the coin that you're buying is real, like definitely something off of Coinbase would be the best chance to not get screwed and something like that. But I do like Link. I love the fact that they partnered with Google. And I love that there's so many people that are now getting into Link. And it already had that explosion to like over 20. And it's starting to trail off down around 13, 14. And it's really not that high of a market cap. I love getting in after the initial hype. Obviously, if you can get in before the initial hype, you're golden. 
but if you missed it like me because you were just trading these crazy equities recently which i really can't even complain about um i'm starting to buy a link myself i know you started buying link there's a lot of other coins now that are coming out that have either been around or recently coming out and they've done really really well also so i'm going to continue to be buying and just holding uh cryptocurrency i would say the biggest bulk of my purchases will be in ethereum and link john trader four asked i think you should discuss two more important trading topics money management and trade management how is mastering these two would make anyone a successful trader otherwise people are doomed for failure you talk a little bit about early stage how you started to learn about money management and trade management uh, and any tips for our listeners yeah absolutely and i just want to give a shout out to at john trader for everyone go give him a follow for his charts i mean i i look at his charts to determine my levels as well so he's an extremely great chartist you know his levels are insanely accurate and just you know give him a follow for me in terms of his question though I, he's he's spot on right like money management trade management is pretty much the same thing like you don't want to be in a position where you're doing stuff like extremely blindly like it's okay to throw five thousand in link if you don't mind but you want to know your exit points, your risks and your goals. And if a trade goes your opposite way, or like if you're in a stock and it's not moving, it's doing poorly, right? Like we say, opportunity cost of capital. It's okay to get out. It's okay to take a loss. And I know people who just like won't sell something because at the end of the month or the end of the year, they look at this little bar on their brokerages that says how much money you made on each stock. Do you know how many stocks I make money on versus how many stocks I lose money on? I lose money on a lot of stocks. And there's a reason I don't trade those stocks anymore. So the more and more you realize which trades and like the, not just the strategy, right? Like you could do leaps, you could do spreads, stock, just like weekly options. Also just like the amount of money that you're putting in for your risk profile. It's way riskier to put $10,000 in a weekly option than $10,000 in a stock by a mile, right? So it's huge. You're never going to be a good trader. And I, the only way that I learned this is by blowing my ass up four or five times, right? Like 5K to 100K to zero. 5k to 100k to zero and it after the fourth or fifth time of getting my ass kicked you learn a couple things so trying to help you from making the same mistakes i just don't know if people will actually you know prevent themselves from making that mistake unless you go through it so it will happen to you i don't know there's a single person who's never blown up an account unless they're super conservative so realize that you should take money out when you make big gains or move it into something safer like if you're trading options 24 7 and let's say you take 50 grand to 100 grand, you should take half that out and either put it in a bank account or buy like, you know, index funds, equities, ARK ETF, or like your specific stocks you like, because that's way less risks than continuing to trade with 100,000 in options. So question on that, um, we talked about like taxes, right? So if you trade something under a year, it's like 30 something percent, you get taxed on that. So where, where's that like happy medium of of knowing when to get out and take those profits versus thinking about, you know, some of the cash, you know, I know you always say tax, the tax man's your friend, actually, if you're paying taxes, <laughs> you're making a ton of money, but is, is there a certain percentage point that you say, okay, now it's time to, to lock and load? Yeah. So for me, like the way that I do it in terms of my options, I don't really care, right? Because options expire and that's always just like heavy risk. And for me, for stocks, I don't do the same thing. Like if I have a stock that I bought at like 50 and it goes to 150, I'm not going to sell that stock, right? I'd rather hold and, it, and it, only if it's a long-term stock that I want to keep and hold. I would rather just like hedge it cheaply with some puts on the individual stock itself rather than selling it. Because if I hold it for a year, I'm going to pay 15%. If I sell it right away, 
I'm going to pay 35%. So if it's a long-term stock that I want to keep, right? Like if I'm going to be like, okay, well, it's at 150, maybe it goes to 130 and then I'll get back in. So that's less than 20%. That's your tax difference. So, and if you sell it and then get back in within 30 days, you're doing a wash sale. So you're, you're going to pay those taxes anyway. Um, in my opinion, if you want to hold a stock for a long term, like over a year, like if you want something for one, three, five years, it's better to hedge individually. But if you're doing options, it doesn't matter for me. Like options are going to be short term 99% of the time, unless you have leaps that you have two to three years out. Like my IWM leaps, I'm going to hold for a year because I'm up so much on them. And I think that like the rut will come back in the next year or two. But for most of my options, like if I'm doing weekly mealy calls or weekly shop or Tesla, I'm going to get out of those at my max gain because I don't have a year on those options anyway. That makes sense. Uh, Ryan Sullivan, Sully R-Y, uh, I think he's been on here before. So Sully, keep yep. coming with those fire questions, man. Yeah, that's uh, DJ's under- friend. DJ's friend. All right. Shout out to DJ. Birthday this last weekend. So happy birthday, DJ. Ryan asked, I understand these direct listings are nothing new, but do you see any impact to SPACs with the NYSE's new allowance? Yeah, I think that the SPACs like craze is not going to really stop. This direct listing news is going to like make it easier for people to like get cash and raise cash as a company. But the way that people who are huge in the industry, like Ackman did the biggest SPAC so far, you know, Chamath Padalapache is like doing, he did two SPACs back to back at the same time. And people are doing like four tranches of a SPAC, social capital holding one, two, three, four. So I don't see that the SPAC thing is going to go away. I actually think it's going to be what we're going to continue to use until we move on to like some ICO, like initial coin offering kind of thing that happens. Like eventually this will be blockchain. I don't care what you say. Like if you give me a different opinion, a hundred thousand percent, you're wrong. That is the best way that this will happen in the future. It may be take five, 10 years, but stocks will trade like on a blockchain basis with their shares. So traditionally companies can do these IPOs, which of course is where those new shares are created. Whereas these direct listings are where no new shares are created. Uh, and only existing outstanding shares are sold. So no underwriters involved in that. Uh, does that affect the banks at all, do you think, then? I mean, they're definitely going to make less money if there's no underwriters. So I think banks will obviously right. not, not be as happy. But that's the same case with SPACs. Like, the reason that they do SPACs is because you cut out most of the middlemen. As I start to talk about earnings here, I know we were just talking about DocuSign. And already, since we started this podcast, DocuSign's up $17. So. Uh, I'm going to have to reassess if I'd still jump in. I think it still makes sense, but clearly we were right from the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> They're already getting going. So let's talk about some of these earnings that are coming up, Tony. Monday, that happened today. So we saw Zoom after the bell, absolutely demolished. But tomorrow we have H&R Block, JMF, that's coming after the bell. Wednesday, we got Macy's before the bell. After the bell, Cloudera, CloudStrike, which is one of my favorites, has been running up quite a bit here, heading into earnings. MongoDB, PagerDuty, and Zora. Uh, and then Thursday, Campbell's Soup, which is an interesting one with the pandemic going on. Smith & Wesson, another COVID social unrest stock there. Uh, and then DocuSign, which you just mentioned, is long, along with Yext, Domo, Medallia, uh, and then nothing really big on Friday. Any of those that besides DocuSign, which we already nailed, so if anyone can <laughs> live stream these episodes next time. Uh, what other ones do you think uh, are going to pop? Is DocuSign going to continue to fly? Yeah, Avi, I wanted to touch on Docu also. I mean, like, I know that it's since we started filming, it's up 17 points. But, like, if you look at what happened to Workday after CRM, like, it ran 20 plus the next day. And then it still ran, like, 25, 30 on its earnings itself. 
So it makes me even more bullish for Docu. Definitely going to be loading some more shares. I have a small amount of shares now. I definitely should have increased my position months ago. But ahead of earnings, like if it pulls a zoom and it goes to 300, I'm going to be quite disappointed. So I'll take the shot. If I get my ass handed to me, that's fine. But I'd rather get my ass handed to me than miss out if it runs to 300, 400. Uh, a couple other ones we want to talk about here, like similar area, like uh, CrowdStrike and MDB. Both of those can have really similar moves to Zoom. In fact, MDB has actually been quite laggy. So I actually have a lot of leaps for MDB, also shares. Another one we want to talk about is Yext has been quite lagging also for the last few months. But I do like what they're doing. And maybe this earnings is when they show what they can really do in the future. The way that I'm thinking about Yext is what happened to Fastly a few earnings ago. So Fastly closed at like 21, and then it went and opened at 30 something plus. So Yext is about 20 right now. And it's been basing under 18, finally broke out, ran two. So people are obviously buying it ahead of their earnings. So it could be a similar situation here that we're seeing with all these other cloud stocks. So I will definitely be holding my YEX position into its earnings just to see what happens. You know, I kind of like Medallia. So I'm kind of in that customer experience space. And Medallia was one of those first early adapters kind of understanding how customers are experiencing a website. So if you ever see those pop-ups that say, you know, what's your experience one through 10 or emails, surveys, et cetera, they do a lot of that. And if you just think about the logic there, you know, a lot of people are not going into the stores, everything, you know, traffic across the board is up for all the websites pretty much. And so if you just think about the logic there, a lot more surveys are coming out. They have a ton of different lines of business, but I don't know, the logic there for me, I think Medallia probably is going to crush earnings here. So one question I have, um, not of course for me, since I'm a multi-billionaire, of course, <laughs> but <laughs> this is a question for me. If you don't have the money, let's say, to play all of these earnings, you know, in terms of looking at premiums, right? Some of these premiums you look at are insanity. So if you want one contract, sometimes it's 300, $3,000. Do you have any strategies that could help mitigate some of that fear of spending a ton of money for an options that are very volatile? Yeah, absolutely. And like, honestly, I'm glad you asked this because I was just looking at Zoom earnings today and I was like, well, how the hell do I play this thing? I didn't think it would go 75 points. It did. Um, and if I knew that, obviously it wouldn't have mattered, but I did think it was going to go 10, 20, 30 points at least. But the problem was like the at the money options contracts were 2,500 a piece, 3,000 a piece. It's like, I'm not going to take a $3,000 bet per contract, right? Because I'm not going to just do one contract. I'll do like 10, 20, 30, 50. So the best way I realized I should have played Zoom is doing a spread. And usually, you know, people do spreads during the week and I, I like to do spreads during the week uh, just for like earnings or just for options plays normally. But for earnings, it's actually really beneficial because the premium is so jacked on all the strikes, not just some. So for instance, if you thought Zoom was going to go up 10, 20 points, then you wouldn't have bought an outright contract. It would have made no sense. You'd pay three grand and the max you're going to make is like two. So you'd lose a thousand bucks, even though you were right. What you should have done and what I'm going to be continuing to do, and I'll probably do this with DocuSign is you buy a strike and you sell a strike above it if you're doing calls. And for puts, you buy a strike and you sell a call or sell a put below it. So you're basically paying, let's say that the Zoom, Zoom closed at 325. Let's say that Zoom 335s were 20 bucks and the Zoom 340s 
were 18.5. So two grand, 18.50. So you buy the 335s for two grand. Okay. And you're like, oh, well, I don't want to spend two grand. Well, don't worry. I have a solution. You short the 340s. So you're creating a five point spread on your options there. So that's why it's called a spread because you make the difference between the spread if you're right. So the max you can make each of those is $5, but you're only going to pay $1.50. So instead of paying two grand, you're putting in 150. And sure, you know, the only way you get your max gains is if it's over 340 by the end of the day on Friday, and you're not going to make money after 340. But here's the cool thing about spreads is you could do a 335, 340 spread for calls, and then you could do a 345, 350, 355, 360. And the higher you go, the cheaper the spread is going to cost you. So the first one will cost you 150 bucks. The second, maybe a hundred, the next one, like 70 bucks or whatever. So if it does explode here, then you're going to make 300, 400, 500, you know, more than that, sometimes percent on these spreads. If you can get like a spread for 50 bucks and it goes to five bucks, you make a thousand percent. And instead of paying, like, you know, if you buy the three seventies for zoom, you're going to pay four or five bucks. You could do the 365, 370, pay like 70 cents, 70 bucks for each spread and just do more size. And if you're right, you're still going to be right. And you don't have to worry about options getting killed, which a lot of the time premium gets killed on earnings. So that's how I'm going to be playing options moving forward or on earnings for sure. I just like, he kind of hate myself for not thinking like that's how I could have played Zoom. But you know, you don't always remember all the strategies you can possibly do when you're trading because a lot of things go on during the day. Lesson learned, I wrote it down in my book. <laughs> yeah, there's tons of YouTubes of understanding how to do spreads and so forth. I know that happened to me several times where I was like, fuck yeah, I nailed earnings. And then sure enough, I did not factor in that they anticipated the 30 point move and therefore I ended up losing was very confused early on. So definitely kind of watch some YouTubes, learn what you're doing before you just jump into something like that. But uh, great strategy there, Tony. So I know we touched on quite a bit of these, but we always kind of wrap up the episodes with some stocks to keep an eye on. Uh, I'll fly through these very quickly. API, Foursquare, CRISPR, AYX, ESTC, Elasticsearch, Etsy. Uh, shout out to Dylan at Dylan Trumpman. Uh, I was asking about Etsy. Fastly, ISRG, IWM, Livongo, Roku, aka Leon Lotto, his favorite, MDB, NVTA, PDD, SPG, Yext, and Spot. So I know we touched on some of these. So some of the other ones we did not touch on, maybe call out one or two, three of these that you think are going to fly over the next couple months here. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we were saying this with Roku, obviously, the consolidation base that happened for a year, you know, if it starts closing over 176 consistently and moves into the 180s, easily a magnet to 200. And I think I think I put my target at 224 or something in the short term. So I'll be looking for that MDB we talked about has earnings. And that one's been lagging. So I really would not be surprised to see that finally shoot to 300. SPG, just a matter of time, they're just winding and grinding in between value and tech. PDD had great earnings. We talked about this last week or in the last podcast. Um, that's starting to move up finally. Once it breaks 100, it'll go to the roof. Yext, earnings soon should explode, in my opinion. Uh, if it doesn't, it's just going to take some more time. This is like a longer, longer term play. NVTA, Livongo, ISRG, all those look like they're about to break out of their bases. Obviously, ISRG has been basing under 700 for months and months, and that's a huge level for it. The last time, you know, it went over 600, which was the previous big base, and that ran straight to 700 on their earnings. So easily for me, this is over a $1,000 stock price target, and that's like shorter term. So it finally can start moving there. 
Fastly, we just got to watch for the TikTok news. Have no idea what that's going to end up being, but I am still bullish on this long-term regardless. Another one that's starting to move well is CRISPR. I do love this one. Once again, super, super long-term kind of stock for me. I know ARK Invest, Leon Lotto loves this one too. Um, they are loading the crap out of this one. And I definitely think this could be like a $100 billion company. It's only like six or seven now. Once again, that's going to take five, 10 years. So that's what I'm looking at now. I mean, I'll be you know posting more on my Twitter charts and such uh, in the coming weeks. So there you have it, folks. There's two to three stocks. <laughs> you ran through all. I think you ran through all of them, but uh, that, that's good. And PDD, I had no idea what that one was. So I think it's pronounced Pindudu, uh, which is a Pindu- Chinese Pinduoduo, Pindu- Avi. Pinduoduo. Oh, okay. Maybe those IPAs are starting to talk for me. Uh, sorry <laughs> about that. Pinduoduo, e-commerce company out of China. So Pound Nation, thanks for tuning in. Uh, another fantastic episode. Sorry we missed last week. Believe it or not, we are human. We are very cool humans at that and get invited to a lot of <laughs> weddings and you know travel throughout the summer. But now that summer is starting to wind down a little bit, we will continue to be more consistent. So thank you again to all of our fans. Wanted to reiterate that we are running the Sweet Logo Contest. So if you guys are artists yourselves or know some artists, uh, please send those submissions in to our DMs on private Twitter. If you want to make it public, feel free to make it public. You may get some likes in there. Also, thank you for everyone that has donated thus far and and continued to sponsor the podcast. Really appreciate that. Again, 100% of those donations will be going to various nonprofits. Thank you guys again, Pounders. Always love you guys for listening and appreciate all the comments, questions, concerns, criticisms, all of it. We're here for it. And thank you guys for just interacting with us. Yeah, please. We would love to see some cool logos, designs. You know, Thank you guys again for supporting uh, the podcast. I'm going to be really happy to donate to some to the African uh, animal charity because you know I, my dog recently passed away and quite quite sad, honestly, about it. So happy to be able to make a difference for some other dogs in the world. And if you guys want to hear some more things about the market, you know, feel free to follow me at Anthony Ohayan, O-H-A-Y-O-N on Twitter. I post charts during the week. I give market analysis during the week, and I really try my best to comment and interact with as much people as I possibly can. You know, I'm only human, so I can only do so much. But if you guys have questions or want to know something about, you know, stocks or charts or whatever it is, I'm always happy to interact. So once again, thank you guys for listening and have a great week, Pounders.